Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Hood Classics and Good Classics. I'm Derek. I don't mean to sound like that. This book is a lot. We are currently reading The Coldest Winter Ever. Uh, if you're rocking with us, I mean, if you're here, you've obviously listed the other chapters. If you haven't, then you should probably go back to Season 2 or Series 2, Part 1, which is where we start this book. Um, is it bad to call a kid a piece of shit? I'm just asking because Sister Soldier's done such a great job of portraying Winter as an absolute selfish, narcissistic, horrible person. And so, you know, I just wanted to know if it was okay if you just, you know, kind of decide that a kid is a piece of shit. I've never been able to call a kid a piece of shit because my wife won't allow it. But... I think that with winter, you know, and, 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 and it's not just winter because even with her uh, siblings, her little sister Portia was right on the same path. Like, I don't know how you can write a kid to be an absolute brat like that, like like just selfish and money hungry and, and cussing at the age of like eight years old and cussing, like not even stumbling over words. Like when I was eight, I wasn't cussing. I don't think. I'm pretty certain my mom would have threw me through a television set. Um, but when I was 15, I think, I cussed for the very first time that they know of. And it was because I was trying to impress a girl. And I was putting together combinations that didn't fucking work. Like fuck ass and, and shit bitch. And, and just, it was bad. I was sheltered. It was a thing. She did it perfectly. Like, her proficiency was like, like, Duolingo would have been like, why the fuck do you need us? Like, you speak cussing wonderfully. You should teach this. Sister Soldier wrote that. Sister Soldier's the one who made her mom like a completely vapid, empty character who became a completely vapid, empty, empty crackhead. Sister Soldier did that. Sister Soldier's the one who made, uh... Ricky Santiago into like this horrible predator of a person like she wrote that and I really want to get an opportunity to talk with her and just see where her mind was with this um and I have people who are listening to the show um the day it comes out they're listening to it and I love it I have other people who are listening to it maybe years later and I love it and I, and I have people who are listening to it and weeks later, and they're sending me 
uh, voicemails and, and emails and text messages about what they're going through. And so we're going to listen to a couple of those. Like we have a voicemail and then we have a uh, message that was sent through Twitter. Because if you want to reach us, this isn't a one-way street, y'all. If y'all want to tell me what you're thinking about this this book... I don't even mean to say it like that. I don't mean to sound bad about this. Like, I really did love this book when I was a kid. And as an adult, I just don't know what the fuck I was thinking. But, you know, if you want to get your thoughts in, the telephone number is 916-633-1537. You can email us at wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. And you can also go to the Twitter page, which is Ratchet Book Club, and just leave a message there in the DMs. I have one listener uh, who we talk damn near every day about what she's experiencing with this book. It's it's a new book for her. Um, so, yeah, with no further ado, let's go ahead and check out the voicemail uh, that we received uh, this week regarding the coldest winter ever. Hello. I am listening to you read The Coldest Winter Ever. I just finished chapter two, or excuse me, chapter three, episode two. And, oh my God, this book came out when I was 10 years old, and I've never read it. And I've heard raving reviews about it. Everyone has said, like, oh my God, it's such a great book. And once I was in junior high, I got really into reading erotica. Like, I read, like, Addicted when I was, like, 13. And for some reason, this book just never called to me. I I just didn't get into it. And now I'm like, I don't think I would have been ready for this, even though I was reading things that were outside or above my age group. I don't think I would have been ready for this. Because there is so much generational trauma going on. Like, Winter's mom being 14 when she gave birth to her, and Santiago is grown. Like, I don't know if he's 18, 20, 21, but he was grown. That is a generational pathology right there. Like, that's that's a mess. And as we're going through the chapters, I just realized that Winter is clueless. She's literally the hood share Horowitz. Like, she's got a rich dad, and she doesn't really have to be accountable for any of the things that she does. And, you know, Midnight is definitely Josh. Like, he just looks at her like a little twit who needs to grow up. And all I can think is that Santiago is obviously going to be murdered. Like, Somebody has to kill the king. That's how you become the new king. And that is going to shatter her world because he is all they really have. And I feel like even though the, the like, blatant, over-materialistic views of her mom make it seem like their life is so great, in reality – What's happening is that, like, they're kind of being held hostage. Like, the mother is financially beholden to Santiago. She doesn't have anything of her own. And she has been at 14, so I doubt that she has any, like, sort of formal education after a certain age. And it just seems like without him, like, if he died 
in the next chapter, they would be lost in the sauce. And that is toxic. There's just so much. Sister Soldier, oh, this is so good. I got so gassed when Midnight came with the ring. I thought that shit was real. Well, thank you so much. Um, it, it's At this point, we're at the point where uh, Winter is oscillating between pretending like her whole family's dead and being happy that her dad is still alive and um, spending damn near half her money to make him look good in prison because their whole mindset, the family's mindset, is that if you look good, you feel good. Or that money makes power. You know, it's not knowledge is power in this book. I don't think that there's any one person in this book who truly believes knowledge is power, except maybe Rashida and 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 Midnight. Um, but yeah, no, knowledge is not currency in this book. Knowledge is the weakness in this book. Um, and the fact that at this point in time, um, Santiago has killed two people in prison in the last chapter. That's where we were. Uh, the CO who was hitting on a 17-year-old girl in the prison because for some reason, you know, I know, I know, niggas is gross. And uh, Sister Soldier has no problem pointing out when niggas is gross. But Winter gets preyed upon by literally every man that she sees except for the one that she wants who won't prey upon her because he has a respect for her father. And it's almost like a, like she said, it's almost like Josh. Um, but every other man in this book has preyed on winter or attempted to prey on winter. Um, and winter at the same time is looking at people who don't get preyed upon, like they're weak. Like, why aren't you using your body as a weapon? We have a uh, DM, a, a, a Twitter message um, about the book, and it is from, um, <laughs> it's from Roy uh, from the Let Me Tell You Something Bitch podcast. Let me rephrase that. The podcast is Let Me Tell You Something Bitch. Um, but Roy uh, left a, a message that said, I am totally hooked on the coldest winter ever. I just finished listening to part eight, and one thing's for sure, two things for certain. Santiago is a predator and a goon. For all we know, he could have deliberately not bought the bins, knowing his wife would flip and demand to go with him. And he set her up to get shot on her birthday so he could start over again with his new young bitch, who was only a few years older than Winter. The only hiccup is that tough BK bread heifer survived. You know he's extra trifling because he never invested in his wife. She was still 14 years old after however many years with him. She had no skills and no education, and there was no legitimate business to fall back on. Nothing. Like, he could have paid a legit business to front like she and her were employees for years for proof of income at an appropriate time, and they could have used the money he saved working to buy a legit business and grow the stuff from there. Real talk, he did nothing to uh, bring Winter's mom up. But at the same time, what 
Sister Soldier, I think, wants us to know about Winter's mom was that Winter's mom enjoyed being kept. There's another book that I really, really, really love, and it's, you know, I'm sure a lot of folks read it because it's usually, it's required reading uh, for, like, middle school and high school, and it's it's Animal Farm, and there's uh, three horses, Clover, Boxer, and, whew, what was the last one's name? Molly. Clover, Boxer, and Molly. And uh, Boxer was the hardworking one uh, who basically died on the farm, you know, because his whole mindset was, I will work harder. Clover lived past the destruction of the farm in the whole nine yards and got to see it all turn back into the same way it was when the humans ran the farm. And Molly was a dainty white mare who didn't even want to work. Like, she would sell herself out to whoever had sugar in their hands. Like, she eat out of a human's hands in a millisecond, was pissed all the other animals off because they were supposed to be uprising against the humans. And how are you going to uprise against the humans if one of your comrades is eating out of the human's hand that they just show sugar to her? Winter and Winter's mom are Molly. There's wars going on in the streets all around them, and they don't know a thing. This girl, Dolce, is probably living in their same building, if not a few buildings down, because Santiago doesn't seem that smart. I mean, niggas can play chess against themselves all they, all they want. That don't make them the smartest motherfuckers in the world, you know what I'm saying? And they don't know a thing about Dolce. They don't know a thing about Ricky Santiago Jr. And you know what? I am convinced that Winter is right about Midnight knowing about Dolce and that Midnight and Santiago had real meetings in Dolce's apartment, which uh, Santiago kept for or paid for. He didn't want Winter's mom to um, get the opportunity for growth. Because if you get the opportunity for growth, then you don't need the person who you're living with anymore. You're no longer dependent on them. You are independent. And if you're independent, they lose their power. And what better power does he have in his house than having a woman who fawns over him hands and hand over foot? A woman whose voice changes when she talks about how much she loves him and she'd be willing to take a bullet for him. Yeah, she proved that. Meanwhile, you're out in the streets with another nigga or with another woman uh, having having children with no regard. This is supposed to be your queen and you're doing this to her and don't care. And you lie to her when she comes into the, the, the prison to talk to you about it. And she comes out believing it, or at least you think she believes it. But then the very next thing she does is start smoking crack. And I think that what Sister Soldier was trying to say in that regard was she's Winter's mom was a weak willed woman whose entire strength was Santiago. And when Santiago was no longer fully there to support her, she started to fall apart initially by going to jail when she when the cops came and got her. But then when she found out that Santiago was having an affair, it's like the legs got kicked out from underneath her. 
and the only thing she had left to depend on was the illusion that he put back in her head. So then the tripod that she had for their relationship would stay stable just a little bit. But it wasn't there long enough to hold her up and she fell into drugs. Winter's seeing all of this. And Winter is still holding on to her father and holding on to the dream of what her father does. Because in all honesty, Winter's a sociopath. And she's able to say, well, my mom was never strong in the first place. My dad was always a strong one. So I should go ahead and just focus on what my dad does and be like my dad. And my mom's dead to me. Meanwhile, her dad don't even want to deal with her. Her dad is ducking her notes. And then the nigga murdered two people. And now he's upstate. So their whole family is just like fucked up. And it all starts with Santiago. Like like Roy said, just because she was 14, I mean, that's fucking gross. But just because she's 14 doesn't mean she can't learn something as she gets older. Like you don't stay a child forever and you got to learn something. You got to you got to pick something up. I wonder how many rich people literally have nothing, no knowledge, no logic of what their significant other is doing. And they just sit back and get paid. And I wonder how empty of a life that would be scary to me. If I was in a relationship where my beloved wife was making all the money in the house. And I didn't know how to do anything except spend her money. I would be worried about when the chair was going to get pulled out from underneath me. What if she passes away? What if Santiago passed away? What were they going to do? You see, as soon as he went to jail, shit fell apart. But that's because the nigga was doing illegal businesses and they seized everything. And Winter's right. Dolce didn't get anything taken from her. Dolce, you know, Winter could have been cool about it and been like, yo, Kick me down some cash or I'm going to kick you on your ass. That's still not a cool way to go about it. But, you know, they could have talked. They could have worked something out. That's her stepmom. <laughs> but seriously. But nope. Wouldn't you want to go hard in the paint? With everybody. Even with their homegirl, Simone. Simone's like, yo, I got pinched getting a dress for you. Winter's like, you full of shit. Click. This is the life the winter lives, and I don't know where her dad told her, don't trust anybody, especially your best friends. But the way it seems, winter's best friends were her family. And winter's family were her enemies. I mean, everybody. Everybody. Her aunt was her enemy. Shit, her little sister seemed like her enemy. Her mom turned out to be an adversary, but her friends were there, and Winter got it twisted up to where she thinks everybody's plotting against her, so she's fucking over her friends left and right, and now she's making enemies. Huh. <sighs> We're going to go ahead and get to uh, chapter 12 um, now. I appreciate y'all listening to my uh, diatribe. And again, if y'all have any thoughts, please don't hesitate to call 916-633-1537. We'll put it on the show. Two big cemented roaring lions sat on opposite sides of the cement steps leading to the place. 
Oh yeah, she's going to Sister Soldier's house now. She fucking hates Soldier. Soldier hates her too, so it's mutual. Uh, the door was made of solid thick glass, framed by maple wood with all kinds of carvings. Behind the solid glass was a black designer gate, an expensive and fancy way to say, keep the hell out. The building was one of Harlem's Sugar Hill brownstones with five floors. What really caught my eye was the money green Mercedes Benz illegally parked in front. A little black ugly girl answered the huge door. It was so wide and heavy that it opened slowly. How are you, Rashida? The miniature lady asked. Once inside the door, we were faced with another door, lighter in weight, but that girl swung right open. Parquet floors with colored designs. I caught my breath and reminded myself that months ago I lived in a place three times fatter than this, so no need to get excited. While the troll interrogated, Rashida, did you let Soldier know you were coming today? I checked the next spacious room behind two more open wooden doors, which revealed a winding staircase leading to the second floor. Now, Art, I don't follow that shit, but there was enough paintings on the wall. Of what? <laughs> don't ask me. African titties everywhere and wooden mass carvings. There were big pictures with big frames, the kind I hated. That were supposed to be a portrait of a person. To me, the person was painted to seem alive, but almost always looked dead. No, I didn't tell Soldier I was coming, but I know it's not a problem because she told me if I ever needed. The short girl disappeared into the darkened room before Rashida could even finish. From what I could hear, she was talking on the phone for three seconds. She came back out and said, You can go on up, Rashida. It was like walking through a museum. There were huge ivory tusks that had to be straight off an elephant, carefully placed in a sitting room with huge windows. Chess pieces, marble tables, statues, heavyweight curtains, and plants everywhere. The plants were like decorations as the designer or whoever hooked this place up had them draped over each window and outlining the walls up to the top near the ceilings, then cascading down to the floor. On the third floor were doors tightly closed, as though something top secret was done in there. Each corridor on each floor was elegant with marble stools for sitting and plant holders with more plants. By the time I reached the top floor, I calculated 27 hours since I had slept. My heart was racing out in a normal rhythm. Now what was bugged about the fifth floor was that it was huge and clean, with tall windows and beautiful wooden floors like the rest of the house. But it was as if the designer decorated the whole place, got to the fifth floor, and just quit. This is it, Rashida said. This is where Soldier is. She knocked lightly on the half-open door and pushed her way in like she lived there. You can sit there, she directed me to a wooden chair near a small table. Rashida exited the room where I was seated. She walked through a small kitchen, the fourth one I had seen in this house, and into another room. I watched everything as Rashida began to talk to someone who was concealed behind the half-open door. Soldier, I have a sister out here who's a good friend of mine. And that's all I heard because Rashida stepped into the room and closed the door. She probably purposely lowered her voice so I couldn't hear her begging. She better not be begging. The room I was waiting in was like a library. There were two wide and towering sets of bookcases that went from the floor to the ceiling. There must have been at least a thousand books on those shelves. Big, small, every color, old, new, hard, and soft.
Some of the books have papers hanging out of them. One shelf had magazines and newspapers only. The windows in this room had no curtains, even though the people in the brownstones across the street could look right in. How did I know? Because that's what I was doing, standing in the windows looking in the house. But their windows had curtains. The kitchen was clean, but nothing was in it. Curiosity made me open the refrigerator just enough to look in. Water, salsa, and ginger ale. That's it. I heard a slight movement and closed the refrigerator door real quick. Soldier was taller than I thought, about five foot six. She had big brown eyes, long lashes, and chubby type cheeks. Her hair was shining like it just got done. It was a flat twist style, kind of original. She was a typical uptown girl. Big ass, wide hips, and nope, not a flat belly. She still needed to do them sit-ups. Nothing to say about her clothes. Blue jeans, white shirt, and wait a minute, a pair of skips. Nondescript sneakers, skips, like she was from one of the Long Island flea market towns. No, she didn't, I said to myself. The thing that stood out most about her were those eyes. She was staring right into me. She didn't try to hide it or even look away when I looked at her. I wasn't going to stare back at her because what was all this about anyway? She walked over towards me. As far as I'm concerned, she was standing way too close to my face. You know people need personal space. You're not supposed to tell them that. They're just supposed to know. First thing she said after long, uncomfortable moments of saying nothing was, You are so pretty. I turned my head to look behind me, but I knew she was talking to me. What was I supposed to say in response to that? Where are you from? She asked. Long Island. It just dropped out of my mouth. Less is better. I wasn't going to tell her all my business. There's no telling what Rashida had already told her, but I would fix that. No. I meant what country? What? I said, thinking to myself, what in the hell is she talking about? We all come from right motherfucking here. No. I was thinking maybe your family's from Panama or Trinidad, or one of the islands, maybe? I gave her a one-word response. Nah. Then I continued to push for what I wanted. Rashida said that you know my cousin, Midnight. Yeah. She answered with one word. Listen, I said, I don't know what Rashida's told you. She doesn't know me very well. Rashida rolled, then cut her eyes at me. Anyway, you know how family moves around a lot. I grew up with Midnight. After he was about 16, we just lost track of one another. My mom doesn't have long to live. I'd like Midnight to see her before she dies. He would hate himself if she died without him being able to say a few words. We were close like that. Well, anyway, Rashida mentioned that you know my cousin. She said you'd probably be able to give me his phone number or address. I'm sorry to hear about your mom's. Midnight calls me every now and then, she said casually. Like, maybe once a month. But I don't call him or have his number. How about an address, I pushed. No, not even that, she said, smiling politely. Rashida said you need a place to stay, she asked, still looking in my eyes. But my dad taught me how to have a poker face, so I put one on.
No, not really, I answered her. Rashida exhaled, threw her hand up and said, Winter. Winter, Soldier repeated. That's a different kind of name. See, that's what I was telling you. My friends call me Sasha, but Rashida wouldn't know that. So, Sasha, you're not having any trouble like Rashida said? Soldier asked, her eyes leaving my eyes and landing on my bedroom slippers. It ain't nothing. Just some jealous girls at the place where I stay. They don't matter, though, because in two months, I'll be 18, then I can get my own place. After a pause, Soldier said, The only problem is that in New York, beef between young sisters living in the same place could end up so many different ways. It could be a small thing, or it could be murder. Jealousy is a dangerous emotion. Jealous people usually are so intensely dissatisfied with themselves that they have a burning desire to destroy anyone who has something they want, but feel they can't have. You can stay here if you want. You don't look like the type to stay too long. But since you are family with Midnight, I don't mind letting you stay till he calls. Then you two can hook up and take it from there. I like the way she put it, so I agreed to stay. Rashida just said things all wrong all the time. She acted like she had one of those red flashing ambulance lights over her head. She was always too eager. We went in the bedroom where I would stay. The place was real plain. But there was a big mirror and two comfortable looking beds. My sister, Lauren, stays in that bed, Soldier said, pointing to the right side of the room. Watch out for her. She's a trickster. She should be home now. But she's not. Whatever. Those were the last words I heard because I lay on the available bed in my clothes and 27 hours of sleeplessness kicked in. Around midnight, my eyes reopened. For three brief seconds, I tried to figure out where I was. It was the pink slippers on my feet that shook my memory into place. The quiet argument going on outside of my door got my blood going and I listened in. I thought I told you if you were going to go out and stay out overnight, you should call me. I didn't know I was going to stay out, the unfamiliar voice shot back. How does someone not know that they're going to stay out for two nights in a row? Now you explain that. I don't really want to explain nothing. I just want to get some sleep. What you need to do is have some respect. You're not my mother. You're my sister. It doesn't matter that I'm not your mother. I'm your sister. I'm the oldest and I take care of you. That's enough reason for you to give me your respect. Then she sucked her teeth. The door to the bedroom swung open. I jumped to sit up. She clicked the light on. I could tell she was surprised to have somebody in her room by the look on her face. She closed the door back immediately. Who's that in my room? Or should I even bother to ask? Her name is Sasha. She'll be staring for a while. Well, what's the deal? She asked. What deal? Soldier responded. The 411, I heard her sister say. Nothing. She's cool, I heard Soldier say. She's Midnight's cousin. Ooh, hoo, 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 the sister said while I sat there wondering what all that meant. Tall and slim, the sister was named Lauren like a brown china doll. 
She was a model-looking type of girl. I couldn't call her a fashion model because she had no fashion. She had nice hair, but with too much gel in it. She had cheap shoes, which our figure runs in her family, knockoff earrings, and a little Joyce Leslie Sears learner type of outfit. I always said it don't mean shit if you don't know what to do with it. She came and introduced herself. Her eyes bounced around the room while she talked. I guess she was checking to see if I messed with any of her shit. So what you in for? Lauren asked. What? What's your problem? Everybody who stays a soldier got some kind of problem. That's the only kind of people she likes. Then what's your problem? I asked her. My problem is that I'm related. And of course, my problem is like everybody else's problem. Cash flow. I work for soldier answering the phones when I'm here. A soft knock at the door and then a push. Sasha, soldier said. My sister Lauren can tell you the house rules. She knows them, even though sometimes she doesn't follow them. Tomorrow we can arrange to pick up your clothes. No, that's alright. I'm going to go shopping for some things tomorrow. Oh, you, you do have money, soldier asked. A little something, I smiled. Yeah, that's right. I ain't no charity case. I got my own loot, I was thinking to myself. A loud bell chimed throughout the house. Could you get that? Soldier asked, calling from the bathroom across the hall to our room. The shower was running. Lauren, can you get the door for me? She asked again. Are you going out? Lauren yelled back into the bathroom. Yeah, Soldier said. I watched as Lauren lay down on her bed. Sasha, can you get the door, please? I'm tired. I knew her type. Everything was a test. I played her little game for a minute. When I got downstairs finally, I pulled back the curtain on the lightweight door. I couldn't see the face because the porch light was off. But the street light off to the side lit up the red Range Rover double parked on the side of the money green bins. The rims on this rubber were so hot I wanted to fuck the truck. Are you going to let me in or what? Now I stood face to face with GS, one of the top hip-hop artists in the entire music industry. With one two-carat diamond in his ear, my mouth hung open. Now there's not much shit that could surprise me, but now I was stuck guarding the entrance to the door. Shocked, I couldn't move. I had seen all the top artists in concert, even GS. Nobody could have convinced me we'd ever be standing one-on-one in the same house. Soldier here? The guest jeans and fresh out the Nike box kicks look good, but meant very little once I peeped the gold Rolex with the diamond bezel face. Now, Honey just stepped over me like I was a roach. Or maybe he confused me with a maid. I watched his six-foot frame as it disappeared up the stairs. With my mouth wide open and my hands on my waist, you might have seen steam coming out of my ears had you been there. I checked how I just got played out in an expensive but two-day dirty outfit and slippers. They knew who was at that door and they didn't even warn me. Hell, everybody know how much first impressions mean. I didn't even take a minute to brush my hair. It was right then that I realized how vexed I was at the bitches in the house successor raid in my trunk. I was so happy that I had escaped with my loot and jewels that I wasn't focused on the clothes. But now I stood there calculating the cost. 
Leaning against the second door, I outlined the shopping I would have to do in my head. It was obvious that there's money in this house, I thought to myself. I wasn't sure how I'd get a piece of soldier's hustle. I was sure that I would. I knew she had to be some kind of con artist. Where'd she get the money for this house, the bins and all that? Bigger question. Why would GS go out with somebody with her? A girl who rocked skips and just wasn't... just wasn't fly. The answer must be because he hadn't weighed his options. Someone like Soldier had access. She must have used those charity concerts to get in good with the stars. Well, now I have access. Staying here wouldn't be as bad as I thought. But like Soldier said, I wouldn't be here long. I passed a happy couple on their way downstairs. She said, peace. I mumbled something back. Then I had to double right back and lock the door as they left. So, are you ready to hear the house rules? Lauren asked, laying on the bed smoking a cigarette. Yeah, give it to me, I said unenthusiastically. First rule is no smoking. She started to laugh. Soldiers alerts the cigarettes. Plus, she hates them. So I do it when she leaves, with the window open, as you can see. She won't be back for a few hours. I'll spray this stuff, she said, squirting cherry aroma household spray. Now when she gets back, she'll still ask me if I'm smoking a cigarette. Even though our bedroom door is closed, the window's open, and I sprayed this shit. Second rule is you can never stay in this house when no one else is home. You'll either have to go out and do your own thing, come with me, or leave out with Soldier. Oh, and you can't have a key. Those are Doc's rules. Who's Doc? She's a doctor who owns this house. She runs her medical practice on the first floor. You probably didn't notice it because her office has a separate lobby and a separate entrance. She has a lot of expensive stuff, equipment and all of that, so she's real strict about the key situation. I have one, she said, shaking her small set of keys. Next rule, you can't bring nobody to the house. The only strangers who are allowed are the patients who come in through the side door and soldier students on Thursday and Sunday nights. Now, the men's group meets on Thursday nights. It's for men only. We can't even stay back here in our room. What about soldier? Where'd she go? She's a teacher. She stays with the men. The women's group is on Sunday nights. Soldier will want you to attend the womenhood meetings. I couldn't help but roll my eyes. Lauren was calm. She said, yeah, I know, right? Well, she won't force you into a meeting, but she expects anyone she's dealing with to at least give it a try. They ain't that bad. I just go for the laughs. As far as the food goes, this the deal. I don't cook. Blimpy's is right on the corner, pizza, McDonald's, and there's this good Jamaican spot on the avenue. Soldier cooks good, but she's always on a diet. When there's food here, you can eat it. Soldier will share almost anything. Other than that, just expect her to try and get your life together whether you like it or want to or not. Don't try and stop her. It's in her blood. Now, the benefits are the reason I bother at all. Soldier's a VIP, so she gets invited to everything. Concerts, parties, dinners. She knows everybody. The thing is, unless she has a really special reason to go, she don't really go. So we get to use the invites and meet everybody who's anybody. Like G.S., I had to throw it in. Yeah, he a fine ass, ain't he? That was him at the door, I said, hoping she would throw in some more information she had already been so helpful. 
I figured that was him, Lauren said casually. Them two is weird. I started laughing. Somehow or another, I was excited. Even though I appeared to be cool on the outside, the energy was just shooting every which way in my body. My mind was like a tape recorder, catching every word. I had always went to all the big shows, read the magazines, grown up on hip-hop, but I had never been on the inside. As I really thought about it, on the inside was where I needed to be. And if these people didn't know how to take advantage of an opportunity, it would be they lost because I didn't intend to miss a beat. What's so weird about it? I tried to seem half interested. Now figure, that dude can get any girl he wants. He comes in here a few times a week and talks a soldier for hours. Two, three o'clock in the morning, you get up to go to the bathroom, them two is laughing, talking, and whatnot. He picks her up and takes her out. On her birthday, he was in here cooking for her. You lying, I blurted out. No, seriously. He'll do anything for her, but... She stopped talking. But what? I pushed, revealing my desire to know. She ain't fucked him. He's not even her man or nothing. You're killing me, I said. Killing you? It's killing me. Well, what's the deal, I asked. Lauren said, he's not gay. I know girls he's fucked before. But check how this man likes Soldier. He caught beef with his man for liking her. But she ain't his girl. Ain't giving her no pussy, nothing. Maybe she's lying to you about it, I told her. Nah, if it's one thing I know, it's my sister. She had a few bad relationships in the past. Now her legs is crazy glued shut. Funny thing is, she got more niggas coming and calling so she stopped fucking. Now you go figure. One thing she said made my mind wander. It was a statement about bad relationships. I wondered if Midnight was one of them. I wanted to ask, but I knew it would seem too soon to be too interested. I figured I wouldn't have to be that nosy to put this puzzle together. The way her sister just volunteered information, it'll be a short time till I can see the whole picture. Me and Lauren just clicked. The way she was cool like that, I just knew we'd kick it together. Back in the bins. Things couldn't have been better. Doc drove us to go shopping. She was the first black female doctor I'd ever seen up close. Everything she had was high quality. She looked young, acted young, and didn't get snobby about being a brain surgeon. When we go into a store, she whipped out her gold card. When her wallet flipped open, I peeped she had platinum cards, diner club, the works. She was picking clothes and accessories for herself out of the top line designers of the store. These were items only a professional shopper like myself would have the eye to select. When I seen how she had just ran everything on the card, I thought to myself, it's like she's not even paying money for it. I needed one of those plastic cards so I could walk out of the store with bundles of stuff in my hand. I grabbed every credit application in sight. While me and Doc shopped, Soldier would lean on anything and read her book. Her sister Lauren was playing me so close, it was annoying. I could tell she was a sponge just trying to soak up my flavor. She watched what clothes I selected. Even stuff I just picked up, looked at, and placed back on the rack. When I put something down, she would pick it up. 
Her eyes would be bulging as she looked at the price tag. I never liked shopping with a couple thousand dollars to spend while your partner only had a hundred and fifty. The person just kept giving you the buy me something look. And y'all know I ain't buying nobody shit. What was the icing on the cake was I bought a red leather coach bag. It was a perfect match for the red Range Rover I seen last night. After following me around for the whole afternoon without buying nothing, Lauren went and bought the same exact bag I purchased. Shit like that is unforgivable. But I told myself she's not a shopper. She's definitely no competition. So I checked what she did and let it go. Before I knew it, my hands were heavy with packages. But the yellow envelope taped to the bottom of my pocketbook was light. I only had $500 left to my name. Doc had challenged me to floss. I couldn't let her go on a shopping spree for herself with me sitting back looking like a popper. Plus, if you have a binge, you ought to be able to fill it with packages from Bloomingdale's, Saks Fifth Avenue, Nordstrom's, and whatnot. It all fit into my plan anyway. I reversed last night's scene of embarrassment with the messy clothes and slippers. GS would never catch me off guard again. The next time he ran into me, he wouldn't even know it was the same girl who answered the door. Dinner was crazy. Picture us all seated around the large table at Doc's on the third floor. Box of Chinese food everywhere. Everyone's getting their grub on. Then the questions began. First, it was Doc. So, Sasha, where are you from? Now, they might think I'm dumb, but I remember answering these same questions with Soldier yesterday, so I was prepared. I'm from the United States, I responded. They all laughed. No, Doc said, smiling. What city? And, and, and state. Oh, I'm from Long Island. Whereabouts? Way out, almost to Hamptons. Oh, it's a nice area. I bought a house for my mother out there in Dix Hills. Soldier tells me your mom has cancer. I hope you don't mind me talking about it, she said, smiling innocently. Actually, I'd rather not talk about it. I was having a good day, and I just don't like thinking about it because it makes me sad. Then Soldier jumped in. Oh, no. It's just that Doc is excellent in medicine. There may be some way she can help. A lot of times when people are sick, they keep going to the same doctor, getting the same diagnosis and remedies. Sometimes a second opinion could help. I just nodded my head, not wanting to encourage them to keep asking questions. If it's the money you're worried about, Doc can't. Now Doc cuts Soldier off. If she's from the Hamptons, I'm sure her family has a private physician in good care, she said. But Sasha's been living at the house successful. Rashida stays, so then I cut Soldier off. So I don't live in Long Island anymore because my mom's medical bills got so expensive, the family went through a lot of changes. And like I said, I don't really want to talk about it. You all don't have to worry about my mother. She has a doctor and a specialist. Me and Lauren decorated our room after dinner. She was inspired by the jokes I made about how plain and boring the room was compared to Doc's place. Now, I let her lead on the designs because I wasn't planning to stay. What we ended up with was three walls plastered with LL Cool J posters. Him and every kind of hat ever made. Lauren has some kind of thing for LL, to say the least. 
She talked about him like she knew him personally. She admitted that she'd never been introduced to him face-to-face, -face, but was in the green room with him at one of her sister's concerts. Why didn't you go up to him? I asked. She said, are you kidding me? I couldn't even move. I was in a state of shock. I knew he'd be there, but there's a difference between nodding in your head and then actually seeing the person. You know what I mean? She asked. I just shrugged my shoulders. Come on, she continued. When you answered the door last night and seen G.S., tell me you didn't freak out for a minute and just lose your cool. Nope, I fronted. You're a liar, Sasha. She pushed me down and tickled me like I was five. We both started laughing as she kept rephrasing the questions. Come on, Sasha. I know you felt a little electricity in your pussy. I kept denying it. I don't care if you don't admit it, because I know you felt the same thing I felt. Seriously, though, I asked her, do you want to get with him like that? Word up, Lauren said. I'd do anything to jump that nigga's bones. We cracked up. Lauren was crazy. We stayed up all night long talking. Do you have a man? I asked her. A man? I got a bunch of guys. Why, you want to meet somebody? She asked. Maybe, I told her. Well, it depends on what you like. Let me take out my catalog. She whipped out a red leather phone book with some of the pages falling out. I'll start with the beginning, she said, opening her book to the first page. What do you like most of all? Like the most important thing? Money, I answered quickly. We laughed again. Lauren wrapped the towel around her head like she was a swami or gypsy or something. She turned the glass upside down like it was her crystal ball. I hollered, you're nuts. You're nuts. She pushed a sheet of paper towards me. Write down what you want in a man in the order of importance. So I did. Money, car, clothes, jewelry, apartment, masculinity, big dick, clean, white teeth, nice body. I slid the paper back to her. Shh. She said, holding her finger up to her lips, signaling for quiet. After a 30-second pause, she said, It seems like we have a problem. What is it? I asked. We have 50 guys with big dicks and nice bodies. Nothing wrong with that, I joked. Yeah, but they all broke, on foot, living with their mamas. We cracked up. Mid-afternoon, we woke up to soldiers' complaints. Lauren, get up. You're not taking care of business as usual. Just because we're sisters doesn't mean you should take advantage. The man at the church is waiting on the contract and the money. You're supposed to be there at 11. Why didn't you wake me up? Lauren asked. Because that's not my responsibility. I was out early taking care of what I'm supposed to be taking care of. Lauren sucked her teeth. Within minutes, she was tapping me. Hey, hey, get up. You can either come with me or stay here with Soldier. That's not a choice, I said. I'm coming with you. $1,500 cash passed from Lauren's hand to the hands of the pastor. That's how much she was charging soldiers to rent the church. She was given a benefit for an organization to work with AIDS patients. When I asked Lauren why it cost so much, she said, You know the deal. It's business. Everybody wants something, even the church. So what does soldier get? I slid in the question once the opening was handed to me. Nothing, her sister said dryly. 
She has to get something, I pushed. You're right. She gets an audience. She gets to tell 2,000 people what's on her mind, what her deepest thoughts are, and what they should be doing with their lives. What else? That's it. That's what gets her off. But how does she pay her bills like that, I pressed. Look, she said, becoming annoyed. I hope you're not going to be one of those people who take up all my time just to ask me about soldier. Because I hate that shit. How does she pay her bills? People just give her shit. She's supposed to pay Doc rent. She doesn't. She's just different. Don't try and figure it out. You'll only give yourself a headache. Within seconds, Lauren was back to her joking self again. Different had to be the word for it. Thursday night, about 30-something guys crammed into the large front of the apartment. There were some who looked as young as 16. Some seemed as old as 30. As promised, Lauren and I bounced as the last few filed through the door. Did you see that? I asked Lauren. Wall-to-wall niggas. It was like an ice cream store up there. Mad, crazy, all the flavors. Big, small, tall, short, bodies galore. I was bugging at the shock of it all. Lauren was blasé. Wait a minute, I asked her. Are any of them in your red book? She laughed. Nah. Soldier would kill me if I messed with her clients. Nope. Her thing and my thing are separate. I wanted to know what Soldier was doing up there in the apartment with all those men. I wanted to understand it. I wanted to hear what she was saying. What was making them listen to her? Did she tell Midnight the same thing she was telling them? What was the hustle, the technique? What could she tell a man as fine as Midnight that would keep him under her spell? Did she meet him in one of these meetings? I wanted to ask Lauren, but she had warned me already. I didn't want to set her off. That might stop the flow of information completely. I'd wait a while and figure out how to get at it another way. The men's meeting ended at around 10. We were back in the house an hour later. I had a feeling GS was coming, so I got ready. First, I showered. Seated on the bed with a towel wrapped around my body and a towel wrapped around my hair, I twisted a paper towel. Carefully, I rolled it and weaved it in and out of each toe to prepare for the pedicure I was about to give myself. Going somewhere? Lauren asked. Nah, it's just my routine. I like to keep myself nice. I hate the way old chip nail polish is on fingernails and toes. Lauren glanced at her own fingers. She quickly tried to cover her two fingers with the chip nail polish. Who was she fooling? I had noticed her nails days ago. She sat on the bed and proceeded to watch me. As I blocked her out, my hands worked feverishly to perfect the French pedicure. Damn, your hands are steady, Lauren said. If that would have been me, I would have never got that line straight. Then she did it. Can you do my feet next? Now, the long pause between her question and my response should have been enough of an answer. But this chick seriously expected me to touch, clean, and design her crusty toenails. Funny thing is, I can do my own, but I can't seem to do anybody else's, I told her. Well, then do my hands. I'm sure you can figure out how to do that, she said, being a little too pushy for my taste. So I did my toes, her hands, and my hair. I shaved my underarms, trimmed my pussy hair into a cute little design. 
Convincing Lauren that everything was regular, I tried on some of the outfits I purchased earlier this week. When all the stalling tactics were used up, I put on some short shorts and a baby tee with no bra. Flipping through Lauren's tape and CD collection, I picked out a mixtape. With each cut playing came a memory. Music just had that kind of power. I thought about all the fun my friends and I had had in Brooklyn. I shivered just thinking about how all my friends had just turned on me, one by one. And when DJ SNS slowed the beat down, the slow jams put me in a state. I started thinking about various sexual positions and how they made my body feel. Then the pressure came between my legs. It's crazy, I thought, how getting my hustle on it nearly wiped out my sex life. When Daddy was out, oh, Daddy, everything was smooth and safe. He took care of everything. All my energy could just go to fun stuff. Now I was uptight, backed up, and definitely gonna get fucked, sucked, and licked real soon. Lauren turned the music down. Sasha, can you get the door? I rolled my eyes like it was a problem. I didn't bother to turn the light switch for the staircase on. In the dark, I stepped swiftly and softly down the five flights of stairs. Loosening my top button on my Daisy Dukes, I let the zipper come down. The light wind that rushed through the door when I opened it made my nipples hard. They stuck out through my baby tee. My nipples might as well have been eyes because when that door opened, that's what GS looked at first. Uh, yeah, soldier here? Do you see me standing here? I asked him in a pushy but sexy way. Oh, damn. How could I say no to that question? He asked with a sexy smile and white teeth. Well, why don't you ask me my name? He stood there, his eyes falling down to my Ralph Lauren panties, which were discreetly exposed under my shorts. Why don't you just tell me? He said with that masculine force that gets me hot every time. It's Sasha. When you come up here next time, if there's a next time, you say what's up to Sasha. Then you can handle the rest of your business. Is that right? He said, looking like he didn't mind joking around at all. As he stepped through the door, he asked, What's up with the lights? I'll show you up, I said, gently taking his hand, using one finger to run it across the inside of his palm so that I knew that would get him going. I walked in front of him leading the way as if it was his first time in the house. When we got to the third floor, I pulled his hand and placed it on my waist. His fingers gripped the naked skin in between the top of my shorts and the bottom of my baby t-shirt. On the last step, I dropped him like a hot potato, turned around and said flatly, I'll get soldier for you. Wait right here. She came out with a big smile on her face. Happy to see him, I guess. She noticed nothing. I went right into my room, shut the door, and sat down. Lauren looked at my titties, and in half of one second, she said, Yeah, I don't even have to ask who was at the door. We were awakened early the next morning. As soldiers stood in between me and Lauren's beds, I thought to myself, Damn, is this bitch a crackhead vampire? She stays up all night. In the morning, you looking at her like, Did you ever go to sleep? I want you to come with me. Get dressed. On the train, the destination was revealed. We're on our way to Rikers Island Women's Prison. What for? I asked. I have to speak to some young sisters behind bars. What are you going to tell them? I asked, really wanting to know. 
I don't know, she said. I move on a vibe. Whatever I feel when I see what I see is what I'll say. Just like that, I asked. She nodded yes. And what was probably a bold move in their eyes, I asked. And how much does this speech pay? Somewhat surprised, she responded. Nothing. When I speak of prisons, high schools, and community places, it don't cost nothing. Well then, how do you make money? I pushed. Different ways. I do projects. Also, when I speak at colleges, they pay me well. How well? Very well, she said. And all you gotta do is say what you feel. That sounds easy. How can I get down? It's not that simple, she said. You have to be talking about something that's important to people in their lives. You have to study, read, watch, work, and interact with people. When you master a particular field, then your words, your knowledge, and your insight become valuable. You know what I mean? I indicated yes, but inside I'm like, yeah, I know what you mean. You're saying you could do it, but I can't, and that's bullshit. I know more about what goes on in the street than she does. I know more about a lot of shit than she does. We didn't take the normal visitors route in the Rikers. We went through the entrance the correction officers used. We were searched. Beads of sweat began to gather as I placed my personal conveyor belt. One of the officers took my box cutter, saying politely that I couldn't bring it inside. He was taking it to protect me from the prisoners. They can't be trusted, he said. It was bugging me out to see how they treated soldier and us, her guests, versus how they treated you when you came to visit the prisoners. The officer who was leading the way began to introduce soldier to all the other officers. They were smiling, shaking hands, giving her props, all that fake shit. The officer in charge said, The women who you're going to speak to today are all HIV positive. They're in a separate wing of the prison. For the first time since I met her, Soldier's face appeared to be uncomfortable. With her eyebrows screwed out of position, she questioned the officer. Didn't you say I'd be speaking to adolescent women today? Yes, he said. I did, and I have to apologize to you. I didn't get the proper paperwork to my superior officer in time. He wouldn't give me clearance for you to speak to the adolescent women today. I can arrange for some later date. But believe me, sister, these women need to hear from you. Now, all of our eyeballs are bouncing around. I'm asking myself, Winter, what in the fuck are you doing here involved in this mess? Soldier asked the officer, Can I use the ladies' room first? The officer said, Sure, right this way. Come on, y'all, she said, making it clear that we were to follow closely behind. In the bathroom, it was just us three. Oh, no, Soldier said, placing her two hands on her face. I'm sorry, y'all. I didn't know we were going to the HIV wing. Well, what's the matter, Lauren said. Can we catch it or something? They say that you cannot catch it except throughout the blood or bodily fluids. But I never trust what they say anyway. I'm, I'm just surprised. I'm, I'm nervous. Soldier leaned against the sink, looking into the mirror. I thought you worked with the AIDS people, I said. I thought you were giving a benefit for people with AIDS. She smiled nervously and said, Yes, 
I work with professional people who work with AIDS patients. And yes, I give money, but I never had to knowingly touch anybody with AIDS. I never had to be in a small room confined with them. I never had to see the effects of what the nasty disease does to a person's body. It's different. It's a different thing. Then she splashed water on her face, looked in the mirror and said, I don't know what I'm going to say to him. This one will be left to God. I pray that I receive a message to give. She took a deep breath. Now, if you were one of those correction officers, you would never have guessed what went on in that bathroom. When we went back out into the hall, she stood confidently on her two feet as if she had never broken down the toilet. When we entered the doors to the wing, we were standing in the middle of a huge room. The beds were narrow, thin, and very close together. They had to be at least a hundred beds. At first, I had thought, looking at these women, this is a waste of time. These chicks are finished. Most of them were lying down in their beds doing nothing. Their bodies were thin and withered. Their faces were sunken in like many crackheads I've seen in Brooklyn. Some of them have fresh bruises and stitches. Some of them have black eyes and blotches. Most of them have big, ugly braids like dykes. They were in bad need of hygiene in a fashion rescue mission. When they saw a soldier, most of them had no reaction at all. In fact, it was a military voice of that man-built female CO that got them dragging their half-eaten bodies out of bed and into the room. Soldier stood, wringing her hands nervously and looking bewildered. I chuckled to myself. Go ahead, smarty pants. Get yourself out of this one. Now you're on the front line. The women were quiet. Many of them looked disinterested. After all, they had no choice but to be there. They really were a captive audience. When Soldier didn't say anything, the CEO in front of the room cleared her throat loudly and said, Go ahead, they're all yours. Good luck. Soldier looked over at her faces. For two whole minutes she said nothing. Then it came out. I can tell that you all used to be very pretty women. I can look at your face and see that you were once somebody's sweetheart, somebody's love, somebody's life. And I know when you were younger, you thought being beautiful was the best thing in the world. But really, we women don't have to do anything to be beautiful. It's a gift from God. The woman is. Somewhere along the line, many of us as women are led to believe that being pretty is enough. And while we rely on that, we forget to strengthen our minds so that we can learn how to think how to build, how to survive. We forget how to live our lives to protect our spirit, to be clean and decent. We forget that everything we do matters so much. Every right decision brings us blessings. Every wrong decision brings us pain. And then, when times get hard, our struggles and our pain shows on our face and our bodies. When people see our pain and weakness in our face, they say, she used to be fine. She used to be this, she used to be that. When men feel our beauty is faded, we become shocked at how well they ignore us and forget us. We'll do anything to get their attention, money, love. Can I suck your dick? Can I do anything? Can I? Can I? When we hate ourselves, we destroy our bodies with alcohol, drugs, casual sex, and a bunch of stuff. Then we look at ourselves and hate ourselves even more. When I first came in here, I said, what will I say to these women? They're all dying. 
When I looked at your faces, I thought to myself, what have they done to themselves? But in spite of everything, your children love you. Your daughters need you. Your sons miss you. We need you to live. We need you to want to live. What's a community without you, the mothers? What will a community of motherless children be like? Killers, haters, evil, negative, mad at the world, unable to love, hug, and live because they hate themselves. Because they needed you to teach them how to feel, how to love, how to just be. So when you look in the mirror, don't see death, see life. Don't see ugly, see beauty. It may not seem like it, but you are powerful. A change of mind, a change of spirit, and a change of actions can create a new you. You are needed. We need you to make the rest of your life mean something special. We need you to take good care of yourselves and each other so that those of us who love and need you can still have you back in our homes and our communities. Yeah, there's much to live for. And when I looked up, everyone's eyes were filled with tears. Not mine. I hated her for making me think about my mother. I hated the way she thought she could get in everybody's personal business. I hated whatever it was in her that gave her the nerve to say out loud what everyone else thought, but had sense not to mention. She hugged those women. And when she forgot to hug one, they would ask for a hug. She gave it to them. She shook their sweaty hands and stood still while the ones with many missing teeth accidentally spit in her face while attempting to express themselves. She gave out pamphlets, book lists, advice, and too many autographs. And after what was way too long of a wait, we went straight home. And one by one, we took long, hot showers right away. So in pediatric offices, there's this magazine. I'm sure most of us have seen it at this point called Highlights for Children. And one of the things in Highlights for Children they have is this segment. I don't know if they have it in every issue, but the ones I saw, they always had it uh, called Goofus and Galleon. And Goofus and Galleon were the comparison of two boys side by side. Uh, Goofus was a idiot and Galliant was a brilliant, caring, empathetic kid. The first 11 chapters of this book have been about Goofus. And now Galliant gets to have the 12th chapter. In the 12th chapter, we learn about Sister Soldier and who she is. And lo and behold, Sister Soldier is just like sainthood. Sister Soldier is the type of person who um, is plain and doesn't wear fancy shoes. She wears skips and blue jeans and uh, isn't fit and, you know, looks like, you know, you're around the way, girl. Sister Soldier is the one who uh, doesn't have sex and doesn't use her body or anything like that. And yet, Sister Soldier is the one who has all the success. Sister Soldier is the one who, even though she doesn't have sex with people, she has um, some of the biggest rap stars in the game, GS, making her breakfast and cooking her dinner on her birthday. Sister Soldier is the one who has men flocking to come and uh, hear what she has to say 
at these meetings and women coming to hear what she has to say at these meetings. Sister Soldier is the one who doesn't have to pay a dime to live in a huge brownstone that's owned by a doctor, a brain surgeon, whose name is only Doc. Because why not? The problem with Sister Soldier in this book is this. Sister Soldier is being written by Sister Soldier. And so what I feel strongly is that a lot of Sister Soldier's ills are being hidden, or even worse, Sister Soldier's ills are being placed in Winter's mouth. Sister Soldier's still homophobic. She wrote that about Will and, and Winter a few chapters back. Sister Soldier still has an issue with um, the women of the neighborhood, black women in particular. Sister Soldier has an issue with a lot of things, but she's not Winter, and this is her book, so she doesn't have to write it like she has a problem with a lot of things. The only concession she made was her problem with people with AIDS in this chapter, and even then, she fought through it and got over it, which is a direct opposition to Winter, who sees a very small thing and just never gets over it. Like the fact they're not wearing the right shoes or their toes or the way that the person's print looks or whatever it may be. And Winter is still just obsessed with cards and money. She bought a coach bag because it matched with somebody else's card or she pictured herself riding in. Winter is still 17, still trying to use her body. And why aren't the people at um, the facility that she was in worried about her at all? Like, not even a little bit. Like, she's still under 18, so shouldn't they be searching for her for at least two more weeks? Isn't that how it works? Sister Soldier's the one who drops gems such as, you know, jealousy is a dangerous emotion, and jealousy is... Jealous people are usually so intensely dissatisfied with themselves they have a burning desire to destroy anyone who has something they want but feel they can't have which is literally describe, describing Winter to a T, because that's what happened with Winter and Natalie. Sister Soldier is not playing by the rules, which is that you can't write yourself as a character in your own book. The reason why is because you can never write yourself in an honest light. You're always going to write yourself to be what you think you are. Not what everybody else knows you are. It's going to be what you think you are. But the thing is, when you look out of your body, you are one set of eyes looking out. There are a million sets of eyes looking back at you. And if the million sets of eyes that are looking back at you are saying that you're a hypocrite and a homophobe and a person who uh, has colorist issues and just talks down to the people who you feel are beneath you, then you're no better than Winter. You are Winter. She has a part in this book where she's talking to a group and we find out that she doesn't get paid for it. That she doesn't get paid for much of anything. That people just give her stuff. That she just, you know, because of her goodness, she doesn't have to worry about money. She doesn't have to worry about anything. 
people just love her. She's literally like Snow White and Cinderella in the Disney cartoons where the bug, the bugs and the birds and everybody just flock to them and land on their shoulders. And sunshine is always on her back. This isn't realistic. This is, this chapter was, chapter was a piece of shit. I mean, honestly, I shouldn't think that, but it was. And the fact that at the end she says, you know, we hate ourselves because we destroy our bodies with alcohol, drugs, casual sex, and a bunch of stuff. What's the bunch of stuff? You know what? To keep that. Casual sex, drugs, alcohol. Those are the things that she kept saying that the girls that Winter hung out with were doing. Again, Goofus and Gallion. And she says that we look at ourselves and hate ourselves even more because of it. Somewhere along the line, many of us as women are led to believe that being pretty is enough. And while we rely on that, we forget to strengthen our minds so we can learn how to think and how to build and how to survive. How to survive. And that's winter. I mean, just add her next time. Damn. You're literally writing yourself in this book as like a paladin. So then you can continue to make fun of the person that you're writing about. Like, we know you don't like her. So why you got your book character acting all naive? Like, oh, I, you know, I'm just talking. If it reached somebody, it reached somebody. Anyhow, y'all, uh, 916-633-1537. Um, Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com and Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. I'll hit you back. I talk back. Trust me. The one true thing in this entire chapter is probably the shock she had when she had to talk to people with AIDS. And then she had winter say all the extra stuff. And the fact that they went home and took showers almost immediately. That I believe. Y'all be good. I'll holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name, did you say?